Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 54, Dealing with Death. It's August 16th, 2022. I'm your host, Lisa A. Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, and clearly podcaster. I'm also a member of the Newsweek Expert Forum. What I do is I help people be well-loved, happy, and healthy even when life is very difficult. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute medical or therapy advice in any way, and my music is by Howie Moscovich. Dealing with death. Well, this is a difficult topic, and nonetheless, it's a topic that affects everyone because none of us live forever. We live like we, we are going to live forever, but we don't. And the reality is we as society don't have the best relationship with death. And this podcast, first of all, has some really good news about um, things that can happen for you after someone you love passes away, and that's the science uh, called post-traumatic growth. So there's some really good news, very positive news out of this podcast. And the reason I'm doing a podcast on death is because death and the sad or difficult emotions, I'm calling them now the difficult emotions, and those would be sadness, grief, loss, rejection, anger, resentment, betrayal, all of those things fall under what I call, I'm now, I've now labeled them the difficult emotions. I don't know what anybody else has to say about it. But these are things that take people out of the game of life. They sack them, they sideline, they get tanked. And to be really functional and happy in life, it's really valuable to have skills in all of the areas of the difficult emotions. So uh, this is not a podcast on grief, grief and loss. I have a separate podcast about grief and grieving, but this is not that podcast. This is simply looking at the topic of death, and I hope that you'll find it uh, helpful. All right, so let's get going. What am I going to cover in this podcast? Well, what I'm going to cover is uh, what is your relationship to death, reasons why death is so hard. I'm going to give a special mention to some deaths that are particularly difficult. I'm going to talk about how people respond when someone you love dies, setting aside grief for a future date, getting complete with someone who's passed away, forgiveness, post-traumatic growth, accepting that relationships can be messy, managing expectations, attitudes and beliefs, obituary services, burials or cremation, living life with no regrets. I'm going to give you some steps to make death less difficult and give you my takeaway and call to action. So there's where we're going today. If you're new to my content, you can visit my website at www.lisaalundy.com, which I hope you'll do because I have this fun giveaway called Look, Look, I Want a Book. So go to www.lisaalundy.com and enter my giveaway because you could win a book. And I do things that I love and I do things that make me happy. And I learned from my very first giveaway, which went on for quite 
over a year, year and whatever, that I love giveaways. People love giveaways. They're fun. So do that if you want, and you can see the rest of my content. My disclaimer. So it's important for you to know that I am not a medical professional or a therapist in any capacity. I'm just not those things. And I mean, I have a lot, I have a lot of research and a lot of, um, uh, continuing education credits, but I am not in the medical field. And you as a person should get your medical or therapy advice from someone who is a licensed provider, of which I'm not. My next uh, disclaimer point is that if you are feeling hopeless or thinking of harming yourself or you're feeling suicidal, I'm asking you to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. I'm asking you to talk about it. I'm asking you to tell people. I don't care if you need to post it on social media. I promise you that there's help available, and I promise you that people will help you. Now, it might not be the people that you hope are going to help you or that you expect will help you, but people will help you because you're very lovable, and so take some action if that's how you feel. Now, my next question is, what is your relationship to death? Well, we don't really talk about death in society. So it's frequently something that, you know, people haven't given any thought to. And thanks to my friend Kim, who pointed this out, that our earliest experience in, experiences with death are typically the ones that shape and form our attitudes and beliefs and expectations about death. So looking back at your life, what was your first experience with death? What was that like? How did that go? Did people talk about it or was it kind of like, well, we have the funeral or service and we do a burial or whatever and then it was it was done. What was your experience? <clears throat> but I want to tell you that when my three children were young, we used to do, well, we did forever, uh, small favors for a group of cloistered nuns in Buffalo, New York, which was just a joy and a pleasure. And frequently that would be picking up their special co-op order or running an errand for them or taking one of the nuns to the doctor. But we were at the convent on a regular basis. And one day, for whatever reason, I don't even know why this happened. It was just... It, I don't know why it happened, but one day I asked our neighbor, Mr. Pat, to go with us, and he said yes. And I don't think, I think it was the only time he ever went with us, but for whatever reason, he went with us that day, and we went and picked up the nun's special co-op order, and of course our order, and then we went to the convent, and Mr. Pat and I were putting their co-op order on the little dolly cart that the nun had brought out. And the nun said to Mr. Pat and I, well, you know, sister, so-and-so just passed away and she's laid out in the chapel. Why don't you take the kids in and go, you know, pay her a visit? Well, I was stunned. That had never happened before. I, when you shock me, shock is my worst emotion. I'm getting better at it now. Now at least I've graduated to the point where when people shock me, I say, well, you really shocked me. I don't know what to say. That's what I do when I'm shocked. So you have to give me some time to process it. But back in the day, I just was, my mind was racing like, oh my gosh, should I take my young children in there? Is that a good idea? You know, I was kind of racing through my mind of trying to figure this out. So I just looked at Mr. Pat and said, Mr. Pat, what do you think? And Mr. Pat and I was like, like the age of my, what my grandparents would have been if they had been alive. And Mr. Pat smiled at me and said, yes, Lisa, I think it's a great idea. Let's go. 
So we took the kids in and they, you know, we said our prayer. We went to the, to the casket where she was beautifully laid out. Of course, we were the only ones in the chapel. So it was very quiet and it was very peaceful and serene. And we said some prayers and then we left. And that was that, you know, we I had three young kids, so they were on to the next thing and took Mr. Pat home. And that was that. However, the next couple days later, I was driving the kids down to the convent for whatever purpose, picking something from whatever. We, we, we're there on a regular basis. And as we're driving, one of the kids said with great glee and excitement, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm so excited, I'm so happy, I'm so happy we're going to the convent. And I said, hmm, to myself, I'm thinking, well, why is this child so excited today? Because we do this all the time. This is like a regular course of business for us. It's a, it's a regular part of our life. But today, there, this particular child, which I'm not naming, was like elated, really excited. I mean, you could just tell he was so excited. So I said, well, why are you so excited today, honey? Like, why are you so excited today? We do this all the time. And that particular child said, well, because we're going to get to see the dead nun again. And I just, I just was floored. Like, uh, you know, of course it occurred to me, oh, I really didn't walk them through the process. So I, I kind of said, well, uh, no, no, that's not going to be happening today. Um, no, she's not going to be there. And they were like, well, why? Well, why isn't she going to be there? Well, I really wanted to see her again. I said, well, and at that point in the drive, I mean, it was only three miles, so this was a very quick conversation. And at that point in the drive, we happened to just happen serendipitously or by the hand of God to be driving by the cemetery that we lived near that was on the way to the convent. And I said, well, honey, you know, she's not going to be there today because after people pass away, frequently they're buried. And if you look over, see, there's a cemetery. So she's going to be, she's not going to be there at the convent today. And he said, oh, wow, can we go to the cemetery? Let's go to the cemetery. And I said, well, you know, she's a cloistered nun and they probably have a special place and not, not for us to visit because you typically, you don't visit with cloistered nuns. That's, that's not part of the process. So anyway, so my children's earliest experience of death was very different than what most people have and had it not been for Mr. Pat being there quite frankly I'm not sure I would have said yes I was kind of like so shocked I didn't know what to do so what is your what was your earliest experience of death and how did that shape inform you and that's really powerful to consider now I want to just mention some reasons why death is so hard because I think this will be helpful Number one, we live like we're going to live forever. I mean, we just live like we're going to be around forever. It's also hard because death is permanent. It's hard because it brings up our own mortality. And sometimes death comes unexpectedly, which makes the grief and grieving process very different, by the way. But an unexpected death also makes it hard because you haven't had time to prepare. Some deaths especially are especially difficult, like when you lose a child or when uh, it's the death of someone very young or when the death is by suicide. 
it's also hard because you miss them. And it's hard because you miss the presence that they had in your life and the things that the activities and things that you did together. It's frequently hard because you regret things that you didn't say to them and you regret things you didn't do with them or for them. And it's often hard for many people because they regret not spending more time with them. And it's also hard because sometimes when people pass away, you have issues or problems or situations that you didn't deal with, that you didn't get handled, that you didn't get resolved. So that makes it harder. And sometimes it's hard because you didn't apologize to them for something you said or did. And it's also hard because we as a collective society mostly don't have a great relationship with death. I mean, we just really don't have a great relationship with death. So that's 13 reasons why death is hard. So I want to just mention the, what I call especially difficult deaths. I mean, all death is difficult. So I'm not minimizing any other type of death. I'm not saying these deaths are more important or these deaths are somehow better. I'm just saying that the nature of these deaths have some complications to the grief and to the loss. So, you know, so it's always difficult. Um, and sometimes when someone passes away, especially if they've been sick for a long time or they've had a low quality of life, sometimes death comes as a blessing or a relief because you know they're not in pain anymore or you know that they're not suffering. But these deaths are especially difficult for the living that are left. Um, the death of a child at any age under any circumstance, the death of someone from suicide, the death of a sibling, regardless of the relationship at the time. The death of a spouse or a significant other, especially if there was a really good and loving relationship, like when you lose your best friend. The death of a parent, regardless of the relationship at the time or the history. The death of someone who's young or considered younger. And the death of a person that you were estranged with at the time of their death. And lastly, the death when a death is sudden or unexpected. So that's not an all-inclusive list. But those deaths in particular have some complications or kind of compound the grief and the loss and the grieving process. So I want to touch briefly on, you know, how other people respond when you lose someone you love. So how... How do other people react when you have someone you love pass away? Well, I've already talked about the fact that we as a culture, we're not great with death. Well, we're not great with sadness. We're not great with suffering. We're just not great at the difficult emotions, to be frank. So for some people, it is extremely difficult, almost impossible for them to be with or uh, deal with you know, someone else who's going through something painful, let alone a death. So when someone doesn't have high emotional abilities, they frequently avoid someone who's dealing with a painful situation, whether it's a death, whether it's, 
you know, someone you love has a protracted illness or, you know, has had a traumatic car accident or whatever it is, if it's painful, some people are going to have to avoid you. And that's their, it's the only thing they can do because they don't have other skills or abilities. So basically they're going to avoid you. They're going to retreat. Uh, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. They just simply don't have the capacity to deal with their own mortality and pain. And this does happen outside of death, by the way. So people will retreat from you and they will withdraw from you. Not everyone, of course. Hopefully you have some, some good people who have some skills and can be with you and be there through the, the grief process. But when people withdraw or retreat from you, that can leave you feeling, you know, further hurt. You could feel abandoned. You could feel rejected. You could feel left out. And, and there's nothing wrong with you feeling that way. That's, that's appropriate. You I mean, your feelings are, you feel how you feel. There's not really a right or wrong to how you feel. You just feel how you feel. However, if someone you know, is in your circle, in your life, whether it's in your family or a friend or whatever, and you lose someone who you really loved and then they retreat and they're kind of withdrawing from you and they're not calling you or seeing you, you know, that can really compound your sense of loss, which is why I'm talking about it right now, because you need to understand that this happens frequently. When my grandfather died, I didn't get to go to his funeral or anything because I was really sick. So I was left at home. And, um, but my grandmother came to visit later and, and she was talking about this. So she was very sad that she had lost her husband and my grandfather. Yet she was talking about with, in a very compassionate and loving way, her understanding that their friends, the friends they had as a couple, were avoiding her. That she understood they did not know what to say. They did not know what to do. They were afraid to say the wrong thing. So they just took the path, path of least resistance and avoided her. So what I'm setting the stage for you is if you've lost someone you love and people kind of are avoiding you or they're not calling you or they're, you know, or they, you feel like they've ditched you, that this is not personal. You can take it personally, you can, but I'm not a fan of taking things personally because in this case, it's really not personal. And quite frankly, they're likely to be extremely upset with themselves. And what's likely or predictable is that they're beating themselves up for not being there for you, for not, you know, helping you. So, of course, on the other side of the coin, if you have someone you know, your friend or family or someone loses someone they love, you know, the moral of the story is call them, go see them, talk to them, be there for them. Don't worry about saying the wrong thing. Just don't worry about saying the wrong thing. Just be there and do it because you won't regret it. So the next thing I want to talk about briefly is setting aside grief for a future date because there are many times in life when you have to, after someone passes away, you have to set aside your grief 
to grieve it out and go through the grieving process at a, at a future date. And I did talk about this in my podcast on the power of tears and crying, but I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to give the example I gave in that podcast. I'm going to give you a different example. So I had a really good friend, um, pass away when I was in college and I was just really torn up about it. I mean, it was very torn up about it and really grief stricken because partially because I expected that she would get better. And, uh, but this happened right before the start of, of, I think it was, might've been my junior year, junior or senior year, but I was a resident assistant at Penn state at the time. I was also a leader in several organizations and I didn't really have the luxury of just, um, going through the grief because I had to be functional because I had jobs and roles to fill. So I kind of had to set my, my grief aside and do the grieving bit by bit here and there. And I, and this has happened several times in my life when someone passed away and I, I had children I had to care for and homeschool or, you know, health issues with um, people I loved. So sometimes when someone dies, you don't have the luxury or the gift of just being able to grieve it out right away. But you do want to grieve it out. If you're going to set it aside, that doesn't mean like forget about it or ignore it because that's not going to go away. So sometimes you just have to do that. Now, the next thing I want to talk about, which I feel is very important in this topic of death, is getting complete with someone who's passed away. Because more often than not, or frequently, one thing that compounds grief is the things that weren't done, weren't said, or your regrets. And there is a way to get complete with someone who's passed away even after they're gone. Obviously, you're not going to be talking to them because they've already died. But this is powerful and helpful in the grieving process. And and you can also do this process, which I talked, which I talked about in the podcast podcast on the power of finishing things with someone who's still alive, but left your life. So what I want to just walk you through quickly is One, so let's say someone died and you're not, you have unfinished business with them. You either owed them an apology or, you know, things were messy or you were estranged or there were problems, or it could just be that you have regrets. But anyway, number one, you're going to write them a letter and clearly because they passed away, you're never going to send it, but just write them a letter and write everything, pour your heart out, pour your heart out, pour your heart out and just keep doing it until there's nothing. Then sit on it for a day or two, sleep on it and then go back. Is there, are there other things? And you're going to keep going through this process until you feel it's complete. And I want you to notice your emotions as you're writing the letter, because there could be anger, there could be regret, there could be betrayal, there could be resentments, there could be all kinds of things. And the emotions that you notice when you're writing this letter to get complete with someone who's died are the emotions you want to deal with. You want to manage and process them after you're done writing the letter. And and that's uh, more complicated. I do have a podcast on how to manage and process your emotions, so that will be help you helpful to you. But this is a a common technique that therapists use and other organizations use. And so if someone has passed away in your life and you had unfinished business with them, that will be a helpful technique to help you get complete with them, go through the grieving process and distinguish those lingering feelings that you haven't addressed. Briefly, I also want to mention next forgiveness. 
This comes into play sometimes when people pass away or they die. And sometimes, you know, people are angry that they died. They're angry that, you know, someone died, which is not unreasonable. I mean, like I said, your feelings are your feelings. But sometimes forgiveness has to come into play for you to really be powerful and move on. And sometimes that means you need to feel like you're forgiven for what you did. And sometimes it means you need to feel that you are forgiven for something you did. It goes both ways. And I have a podcast on the power of forgiveness. So I just want to mention that that might be a piece when someone passes away. Now, my next topic in this area of death, I'm extremely excited about. This is like the happy good news about death. And that is a scientific research term called post-traumatic growth. Post, what post-traumatic growth means is that out of any terrible loss or out of bereavement, out of death in particular, a person can become a better version of themselves and a person can have a more rich and rewarding and fulfilling life. So when there's a loss, a significant life challenge or death, there's this choice or this option where you can embark on growth and take advantage of of what we know called post-traumatic growth, where you become a better version of yourself and life is more rich and rewarding. Now, I, I have talked about post-traumatic growth in other podcasts and it's probably actually might make it into one of my other future podcasts why I really want to talk about psychoneuroimmunology and neuroplasticity of the brain but there is like bona fide research about the components for post-traumatic growth and what we know about it so I'm giving you the bottom line the bottom line is you can take a terrible loss, you can be in a phase of bereavement and grief over a death, and you can use it to your advantage to become a better version of yourself and have life be more rich and fulfilling. So that's really good news, which I'm not going to drag you through, but it's it's a choice. Like, you know, you can become bitter. I actually, before I learned of the term post-traumatic growth, I used to call well, I was I was referring to the concept without knowing that there was actually a scientific concept and research to back it up. But I I did a podcast in the beginning called, you know, using emotional pain to your advantage. And that's really what we're talking about is taking something very painful, a death, or it could be some other type of loss. Post-traumatic growth does not only apply to death. It applies to, you know, significant losses or death. And using it to your advantage to um, become better and, you know, softer and and have life be uh, more rewarding. So that's post-traumatic growth. And it's a choice. You get to choose. Or you could just, you know, not. All right. So the next point I have is for you to accept that relationships can be messy. If relationships were easy, then everyone would have great, amazing, fantastic relationships. But relationships are not easy because we're human. Not only are we human, we make mistakes. Other people make mistakes. We have our stuff. We don't have emotional abilities. Life is complicated. 
And this is why the more you know yourself and the more you understand yourself and the more you grow your emotional skills and abilities, it makes life easier. So I promise you, you know, I mean, that's, that's a fact. Relationships can be messy. Mostly they are. And if you have ones that aren't, well, hallelujah, you know, that's a blessing. But the more you grow yourself, the more you grow your emotional abilities, death is going to become easier. The difficult emotions are going to come become easier. Life is going to become easier. And I promise you that. I promise, 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 promise you that. The difficult emotions are that because they're difficult. But when you have more skills, it's not as difficult. So anyway, so get on the road of growth and development and accept that relationships can be messy and then, you know, do what you can to um, work them out. The next piece that relates to death is managing expectations. So we have expectations in life that we are aware of and then we have expectations that we are not aware of you know so the expectations that you're not aware of are kind of lying around in your subconscious or unconscious mind not distinguished they are not known to you and therefore they are undistinguished so but they shape us and they inform us they inform our feelings they shape our views they shape our actions and so when you have a death, sometimes expectations get kind of swirled up in the death or they get swirled up in the um, the aftermath and you're grieving. So, for example, I was talking about my friend who passed away in college and I was young and I expected her to survive. So whenever you have an expectation that is not met, you are left typically upset. I mean, if you're promised a paycheck and then you find out you're not getting paid for a job you did, of course you're going to be upset because you expected, you did a job, you expected to be paid for it. Now you're not getting paid for it. I mean, this happens all over in life, completely unrelated to death, but they, but they are like kind of the, the stealth thing in death. So it's kind of like stealth. Like it's there, but you don't know it's there. And, you know, my podcasts are designed to help you be freed up in life, to help you be happier and healthier and have love in your life. And so the things that are like stealth are the things that kind of trip you up and they're tricky. So unfulfilled expectations can lead to not only upsets, but anger, resentment. You know, I mean, they can... They are a source of a lot of problems, and not just in death. So in the context of death, if you had an expectation and that didn't come true, then that can change your grieving process. So it's helpful that um, you kind of take a look at that. Like, because maybe you expected this person to change or to do something, and they never did it. And so, but you haven't distinguished that. So it's kind of gnawing there. I mean, this is, these are things that happen, by the way, in the subconscious and unconscious mind. And uh, that's, that subconscious, unconscious mind. I did a podcast about that. That can be really, really tricky and not nice to you. So anyway, so expectations are a piece of death, often not distinguished and it's helpful for you to get in underneath that the next thing that comes into play that we don't talk about is the attitudes and beliefs so 
you know, many people are not clear about their own attitudes and beliefs because when do we ever sit around talking about that? Well, mostly we don't. Now, if you listen to my podcast and you're following along in this great journey to happiness, I mean, I just did a three-part series, three-part podcast on a crash course in happiness because I'm a fan of happiness. And everything I do is leads in some way or another to contributing to happiness because it's my thing and I love it and I love being happy. I don't like it, you know, when I'm unhappy or something bad happens, but I have those skills. So attitudes and beliefs inform your life without you necessarily recognizing that. And clearly in death, attitudes and beliefs you know, can make death easier or harder. So um, certain attitudes, by the way, can be a symbol or a sign that there's a cognitive distortion. So like, for example, if you think you're always right, that that could, could potentially be a cognitive distortion. And then if you have a cognitive distortion, that leads you to irrational thinking, which distorts everything. So you're not living like a true reality. So one example of an attitude or belief is that people are doing the best they can. So if you have that attitude or belief in life, and some people do and some people don't. I mean, some people have the reverse, which is people are terrible and they and they mean to do poorly, you know. But that can be very helpful when someone passes away because it shapes and informs you in ways that you don't know. So attitudes and beliefs are something else to be um, kind of hip to as you're go- if you're dealing with death or you know someone who's died. My next topic here is obituary services, burials or cremations. So all of these things, obituary services, masses, burials, or cremations, those things are for the living. They are not for the deceased. The deceased may have written out or said what they wanted or left instructions or left instructions not to do anything, but those items related to death are for the living. Like, that's not the only thing that's for the living, but... And and most people don't write their obituary and that's left to the family or friends because, you know, it, that's not what most people do. And um, But obituaries are for the living they, and they provide like a permanent marker that that person lived and breathed and had a life. Now, some people don't believe in obituaries. That's fine. That's a personal choice. I'm just saying that obituaries are really for the living because people get to keep them and, you know, obituaries have staying power. So I want to just mention briefly a little sidebar on this topic of obituaries. So years ago, um, my mom wrote, I I was very close with my mom. She passed away in November, uh, last November. And so we were very, very close. And one day I was visiting her and she kind of said, oh, guess what? And I said, what? And she said, I wrote my own obituary and then we were kind of laughing and I said you know well can I read it and she said well sure so she went and got it and I read it and I looked at her and I said this is beautiful it's perfect it's fine and can I have a crack at it she laughed she said well do you want to take a crack at it I said oh my god yes I do so she said okay so I took it home 
and immediately that evening rewrote it. And uh, then the next day I was seeing her, so I took her a copy of my version of her obituary. And she read it, and then she looked up at me and she said, Oh, Lisa, I could never say all these nice things about myself. And I said, Mom, you don't have to worry about that because you're going to be gone, remember? And she laughed. And then she said, is this really what people think of me? Is this really how people look at me and think of me? And I said, yes, because my mom's obituary was that she had written was like your regular obituary. Born here to these parents, did this, did that, had these kids, blah, blah, blah. You know, like a kind of like a fact profile. And the obituary that I wrote for my mother represented who she was as a person, you know, full of life and vibrant, doing other things, the corporal works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy. And it represented her personality and her life, which was very different from the obituary she had written. So after she read it and we talked about it, I said, look, you think about it, sleep on it, and if you like it, you can keep it. If you don't like it, you've already written one, so you got one. Or if you want me to revise it in some way, I'd be happy to do that. But yes, my obituary, the one I wrote for you, represents what people think of you. And she, it was the most moving, touching moment to see someone begin to get the impact they've had on other people. If my mom hadn't written her own obituary, we would never have had that moment. But she relished the thought that she had made that kind of difference. And the fact that she got to have that moment while she was alive and completely with all her facilities and lucid was, was one of the most touching, memorable things. Because mostly we don't walk around in life knowing who we are for other people. Like, really, who are we for other people? So this is an opportunity for the living, like if you're living or your parents or other people are living, to have a, a really an amazing moment and for us to start having obituaries represent who people are instead of just the facts. So... Um, sometimes people don't do obituaries because someone didn't want them to, and that's, that's, you know, that's a personal decision. Burials, cremations, all of those things are personal decisions and, you know, markers. And sometimes, listen, you know, you might not be in the right mode to do a, a service or an obituary or anything when someone dies. And, you should have that be okay. Now, sometimes you can ask someone else to take over, ask someone to help you with that, or just ask them to do it. And quite frankly, you know, people will help you. People will help you with that. But you can also do it later. You could do it a year later, five years, ten years later. There's no timeline on these things. And sometimes you'll make a decision, like I chose not to, bury my daughter's ashes after she passed. Well, she passed when I was six months pregnant in utero, although she was perfectly healthy, DNA, chromosomes, and placenta, uh, because I was going to be moving. And I didn't want to have her buried in a cemetery where I couldn't visit her. I could not bear that thought. I could not stomach that thought. And my Monsignor said it was perfectly fine to have her cremated and then 
uh, as long as I didn't uh, disperse or scatter the ashes. The ashes in the Catholic faith have to be kept together. They don't have to be buried, but they have to be kept together. So as long as I didn't scatter her ashes, um, I could I could have her cremated, and then I could have her buried with me later, or bury her later, or whatever. So you don't have to do it right away. So actually, in my in my will, you know, it specifically states that Christina is going to be buried with me. So you know, like I'm doing it later because I couldn't bear the thought of of being so far away. And there are lots of times, not lots of times, but there are there are occasions where, you know, there's just not the money or the time or the you know the resources or what have you to do all the things after someone dies. So don't beat yourself up about it. Just understand you can do it later. You could do it whenever later because this is for the living and, and people will, will relish that. So that's that about obituaries, services, masses, cremations, and burials. So my next piece that comes up more often than not with death is, is uh, what I call living life with no regrets because one of the really sticky wickets and problematic areas with death after someone dies is the regrets that the living are left with. And regrets are painful and regrets have staying power, which is why I already covered getting complete with someone. But this is the best, one of the best reasons to live life with no regrets because then when someone does pass away, whether it's suddenly or from an accident or, you know, unexpectedly, uh, you know, or, or, you know, that you ha you're complete with them. You did what you wanted to do with them. You said what you wanted to say to them. Like you, you were fully present in their life the way you wanted to. And, you know, like your relationship was clean. Like my relationship with my mother before she got sick and didn't have her mental capacities was complete. It was clean. It was clear. It was complete. I mean, it was also joyous and lovely. Not that we didn't have bumps in the road over the years. We did, but we cleaned them up like adults. Like I said, relationships can be messy, so you clean them up. So the biggest advantage of living your life with no regrets is it reduces your pain and it reduces any suffering at when someone dies. But here's the other thing. If you're living life with no regrets, hopefully you're going after your dreams and you're going after the stuff that makes you happy. I mean, this is like like the most wonderful thing, living life with no regrets. But, you know, people, people don't typically do that. Now, back in the day... Um, I was reading, well, there's this amazing book called Remarkable Recovery. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't think I have it anymore, but this was pff, ages ago and it's an amazing book. I really love it. And, uh, I also had some books by Bernie Segal. Um, you know, he has several books. I had, I think at least two of his. And anyway, they talk about when people die, when people die, one of the, or when they're going to die, um, one of the biggest things that they talk about is not their successes in life or the things they're proud of. What they talk often talk about, not always, but often, is the regrets they have in life. So living life with no regrets is extremely powerful, and I highly recommend it. So next I want to give you a couple steps to making death less difficult. Now there's like no way to make death easy. 
this is not an easy topic and I'm not making light of it. Like I love people deeply. So when I lose people, I feel it and I grieve them. And even, you know, decades later, I will still uh, occasionally cry about, you know, people I've lost because I really love them. All right. So here's a few steps to make death less difficult. Number one is what I just said. Live life with no regrets. Go do what there is to do. Go say what there is to say. Go live your dreams. Create your dreams. Do the things that you want to do so that when you pass away, you're not, or before you pass away, if you have the, the if you're, you know, have time before you pass, that you're not ruminating over regrets. Number two, have emotions be your superpower. Now, I just, uh, today actually, uh, my second Newsweek article came out on Newsweek.com, which you can find under the expert tab. And the article is about, you know, how to use your emotions as a super, how to, how, superpower, how to become, you know, like how the superheroes gain their access to their powers. So my article on Newsweek.com, under the expert tab today is about emotions as your superpower. So you want to get on that journey because it's rich and amazing. Number three, employ all the time, every day, self-care and self-compassion. I have a podcast on that and we're not very good at either one of those things, especially self-compassion. Those are going to help you in every area of your life, every day. The self-care and self-compassion are going to help you be healthier. They're going to help you be happier. They're going to help you have more freedom and joy. And certainly, self-care and self-compassion are going to be very powerful when you're dealing with death. Next, number four, get complete with anyone you're not complete with. If you have relationships that you have unfinished business with, Put it on a list and go take care of it. You won't, trust me, you will not regret doing that. Now, if someone's left your life, I already went through the process in this podcast about how to get things finished up, even though you're not they're not talking to you anymore or you're not talking to them anymore. Number five, get on the road to happiness, which you do through growth and development. Now you're listening to this podcast on death, so God bless you for that. But this is growth. This is an example of growth and development. It's just like starting to begin to be introspective, starting to evaluate your life, your skills, what there is to grow and develop, and not have it be bad and wrong. Like, I know it was 2006 when I learned I had no anger skills. <laughs> I know. I was like, what? But of course I didn't. You know, when I was young, if you were angry, you got sent to your room. So how can I learn anger skills? By the way, I know a lot of people don't have anger skills, but get on the road to growth and happiness because it's the road to uh, growth and development is the road to happiness. It's the road to love. It's the road. It's the access to everything great. Number six, get therapy if you need to, if you're dealing with that and have no shame, have no shame or embarrassment about that. And I'm actually going to be doing sometime in the future a podcast about therapy because I don't think people, I mean, there's a stigma, a negative stigma to it. And uh, I think there's some things that are not well understood about what therapy is and what therapy isn't. And so that might help you, but don't have any shame or embarrassment if you need therapy, just go get it. And number seven, ask for help if you need help while you're grieving or dealing with a death. I mean, I had to ask people to help me move last year because after my mom passed, well, there were actually like four or five other things that happened before she passed that were so painful, 
big life challenges. And I had to ask for some help. I mean, I didn't need help at work. I didn't need help with my job. I just needed help with that task of moving. And, you know, sometimes you're going to need help after someone dies. So don't be ashamed or embarrassed. Just ask for it. Because quite frankly, you know, people will be happier than you can imagine to, to help you. So ask for what you need. Next, you know, start to face your own mortality and start growing your abilities to deal with death because that's going to be very helpful to you. So those are my eight suggestions for making death less difficult. Death is always going to be difficult, but there are things you can do to make it less difficult. So here's my takeaways. It's time to recognize that none of us live forever. And number two, it's time to start recognizing that your abilities to deal with death and dying can be grown and expanded. And you can take advantage of post-traumatic growth after someone dies. And takeaway number three, it's just time to get into action. It's time to get into action to finish any unfinished business and relationships, to eliminate and deal with regrets, and start having an amazing life. So my call to action to you is it's time for you to get on the road to personal growth and development because it's amazing. Like it's amazing and have it be fun because I'm a fan of fun. And while you're at it, take people with you. Yes, you want to take people with you. And lastly, share this podcast on social media with your friends or family because you want to help other people deal with death because it's hard. That's it for now. I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life podcast, episode number 54, Dealing with Death. I hope you're going to do some introspective thinking and consider expanding your relationship to death and take some of the actions I've suggested. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe so you get the new ones automatically. And visit my website at www.lisaalundy to enter my giveaway and win a free book, potentially. I love you. I appreciate you. Hang in there for now. Bye for now.